Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 641. Science Faction as Guardians and Arrowheads. As Guardians, fuck yeah. Uh, you know, I guess off screen, which is the way all of this podcast is conducted. Bobby and I are chiseled like Hemsworth. Yes, but but different ways. I'm more of a Liam. And I'm the one from Westworld. And I don't even know his name. The, <laughs> because I don't want to give people the impression that I think Westworld's a good show. But the, the one who plays uh, fake Thor in the Thor movies in the play. Mm-hmm. That Hemsworth brother, the eldest. That's right. Yes, you're the, you're the bootleg Hemsworth. Exactly. I'm I'm the Hemsworth who got kicked in the face by, I don't know, a didgeridoo as a child. Oh, and speaking of the person who got kicked in the face as a child, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist, Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is the face kicker himself, none other than comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. I think it's really weird that we met uh, and formed this friendship in one of those children fight pits. Yes, that's and, true. And you were the first person to survive one of my devastating face kicks. Uh, it was either that or I stumbled across you pulling a plow through a field and trying to keep the horse flies away. And I went to try and loosen the plow a little bit to be helpful. <laughs> and you inadvertently Don't kicked me in the me. face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just... Uh, the, the weird thing is, is I did that. Uh, I dropped to my hands and did like the spring. Yes, so there's a lot of a lot, a lot of, of upper body strength. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and if you want to get more upper body strength, go ahead and check out our Patreon. Search Robert Timothy on Patreon, where you'll get another episode of Science Faction every single week. 52 extra episodes a year. I don't know. We take a few weeks off, so that might not be true. But regardless, you get an extra episode of Science Faction every single week when you listen to it. Uh, You guys got a couple of sneak peeks at some of the stuff that is on that grassy other side, so to speak, the other week when you got to to hear some of our, our Patreon episodes for free on the main feed. So go ahead and check that out if you are interested in us we do tend to go a little bit bluer oh on gosh. that feed so sorry to interrupt this feed ah, i'm back on earth oh i'll change i'll change i swear to you i'll change where where am i hold oh, god damn it i'm back on the science faction podcast damn it it's alex jones sorry i was uh i just was visited by three ghosts last night who who taught me the error of my ways apparently uh that on top of uh, a billion and a half dollars uh, was not enough punishment for me. <laughs> I feel like the three ghosts that would visit Alex Jones are the ghosts of like chili, sausage, and baked goods. Like those are the ghosts that would come back. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the thing, you know, I've been feeling really lonely at Christmas, so I just want to see my kids and everything. But then I was like, I, I couldn't even remember what they look like thanks to my chili addiction. And and then I got to thinking, then I fell asleep and I woke up and I was bam in front of the spirit of chili. And he said, if I keep going down this path, if I, if I continue to not recognize what my children look like, then one of my enemies will, of course, do what I would do to them and chop them up and put them in a chili. And one day I would eat a, a chili based on my children. And my greatest fear is that after when I was halfway done with the bowl of chili, they would inform me. That it was my children, but I just keep going, and I'm worried about that because I th- I know that damn it, if it's a five alarm chili, <laughs> I have trouble stopping. I think there's a there's a movie like that where in order to get a revenge on Josh Brolin, a guy does a long con 
and tricks him into banging his own daughter as like a uh, a nice tidying up the bow roundabout. So you're basically you're you're ripping that off. Only instead of that, you're mixing it with the South Park episode where they make Scott Tennerman eat his parents in a bowl of chili. Yeah. Oh my God! Somebody Cartman and old boyed me. Oh, I deserve this. I deserve so much. Oh goodness. Uh, but in this time, I want you to know, Bobby, that uh, when I was uh, making amends through the angels of chili and baked goods, and uh-huh. I forgot what the third one was, but he was equally as terrifying and life-changing, I ended up... <laughs> Polish sausage. <laughs> and Polish sausage. That's right. How could I forget? I'm sorry. My cholesterol is unbelievably high. Well, you forgot because you ate too much chili before we talked about this. I'm, my life was a nightmare. Everything is new to me. It's like it's like I'm living in memento, Bobby. All I have to do is stop. The only thing I remember is that I have a tattoo in my arm that says stop eating chili, and it will end the process. It will end the cycle. I'm in a ground beef version of memento that will not end. <laughs> Listen, somebody's going to have to learn to treat. I I need to put on another tattoo. Go to therapy or addiction therapy. (laughs) And then step two, break the other cycle, the chili cycle. Uh, Anyhow, I just wanted to say that I got two people to uh, subscribe to your Patreon out there when I was trying to do some good work. Oh, you got them to do it. I didn't realize that was you. Oh, yeah, that was me. That was Uh, me. That was all word of mouth. I want you to know it's all Alex Jones, even if they know it. Like, I'm, I'm deep in the culture. I'm deep on the dark web. And I'm getting up in their minds. And I'm convincing them to be Patreons, all right? Wow. Listen, my kids my kids are real big fans of the show, and I always thought that if I get some more Patreons for you guys, then, uh, then, then maybe my kids will talk to me. My kids are big fans of the show, or at least uh, that's what I've been informed of via their Tumblr page, because I, I actually have not had direct contact with them in over five years. Yeah, and, and legally, a restraining order does not include Tumblr. I want to let you know that's a loophole in the law. Uh, so so uh, without further ado, uh, first off, I want to say thank you to uh, to, to uh, my main man, Owen Farrell. Uh, he's been uh, leaving a, a, a barrel full, like old army style uh, barrels full uh-huh. of uh, rancid chili in a dumpster behind uh, the Arby's in, in Austin, Texas, in South Austin. And that has sustained me. Let me just say that as a man who's legally not allowed to have money anymore, like it, it just, bam, as soon as it hits my account, I've been having to get pretty, uh, pretty creative. And uh, and your uh, your uh, dropping chili off for me really means the world to me. All right, and then you offering to be a Patreon just keep me alive. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, Mr. Owen Farrell. Not since I have discovered how to put ranch dressing in a Camelback hydration pack for a hiking adventure have I figured out a better life hack than just sitting behind the Arby's and drinking the the horsey sauce out of a spigot. Most people <laughs> don't know there's actually a spigot that they get it out of in the back. <laughs> it's not technically allowed to be released in the same air as breathed by employees. You'd think edible should be able to, right? Not even close. Horsey sauce has to be distributed via spigot behind every Arby's. And once I was keyed into that, man, that's a life hack that'll take you far, almost as far as you can go with a hydration pack full of ranch dressing. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, when it comes out of that spigot in the back, it comes out with the force of a fire hose. It'll take the skin off your face, unless, of course, you're Alex Jones, in which case, I just, I just uh, uh, put, uh, t- put my mouth on it like I'm wheezing the juice. And <laughs> it goes in one end and out the other pretty quick, let me tell you. Uh, once I realized that I'm immortal, that I can do whatever, you know, there's some pluses and minuses. 
<laughs> well, thanks, Alex. Thanks for getting us Owen Farrell uh, as a Patreon. That is that's greatly appreciated. You said there was two though. Yeah, yes. I also wanted to thank uh, uh, Faith Revenant. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the name of the uh, angel who uh, who actually guided me through. That was actually the name of the uh, chili angel out there who helped me. And I want to say, say thank you. Your uh, your uh, uh, vision of me eating my children and also the uh, constant strikes to my genitals. Uh, really helped me uh, get through this a better person. I promised that uh, to only lie about every other mass tragedy to hit the country, not just everyone, because it could be very financially uh, uh, disadvantageous to do everyone. Oh wait, wait, wait. So now you're saying your your new promise is that you will only lie about every other shooting. You're gonna treat it like the gendered names of hurricanes, like every other one is male or every other one is female. You're only gonna call every other school shooting a hoax. No, well, actually, you know what? That's you're right. That's a poor system. What I think I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just I think I'm gonna just try to leave kids out of it. But I'm gonna like just say like uh, I'm gonna be like feudal society, 14 and up as a kid. So yeah. you know, nothing elementary. I'll, I'll stay out of that. But if it happens to high school kids, because as a conservative and a big part of my thing is attacking high school kids who come out against sh- mass shootings. That's a big thing. I spend a lot of time attacking those kids who just are tired of mass shootings. How great is it that the caricature of I promise to only attack the murder victims of school shootings if they're 14 years of age or older would literally be a significant moral step up (laughs) from Alex Jones's actual stance in life. Oh, damn it. My heart's growing three sizes right now. Oh, it hurts. Oh. I, I work out a lot. There's a lot of chest muscle in there. There's not a lot of room for space. Oh. The arteries. It's like all the who's down in Shootsville, and, and Alex Jones doesn't care about them at all. Faith, revving on Faith. Stop growing my heart. You're killing me. Damn it, Faith. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be better. Ah. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Faith, for joining our Patreon. We do have a few more Patreon. Let me die, Faith! Let me die! Ah! We have a few more Patreon shoutouts to get to in our next few shows, uh, so don't worry if you haven't gotten yours yet, and if you'd like to get yours out there, go ahead and check out our Patreon at Robert Timothy on Patreon. But for now, let's move right on to Science Articles. From molecules to particles, this is science articles. You guys couldn't see, but if you guys have seen the movie Ghost, where like uh, where somebody dies and then if but if they're a bad like the bunch of grim reapers come up from the ground and like drag you to hell, like that happened on the Zoom feed right now when Alex Jones is into the camera. Oh dear! Article number one: the missing link is found. I was super excited. I was like, bam, it's going to be Bigfoot or something cool or something that'll really boost our listenership uh-huh. in the Pacific Northwest. But no, it's some boring eukaryote bullshit. <laughs> That's actually not true. It's not true. It's actually really exciting. It's incredibly it's exciting. E- it's incredibly exciting. And I will boost our, our listenership in the Pacific Northwest just by putting a lot of veiled racist hints in the stuff we say. That'll, that ought to do it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not everybody's Portland, big guy. Or, or the, I'm sorry, not everybody's the rest of Oregon besides Portland. You're right. <laughs> Everybody but Portland is. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. So, uh, so, this is a super underreported and incredibly important article. I, I would wager to bet that even those of you who are scientifically minded have not heard about this this week. And 
if you want to look at the scale of things, it is one of the most interesting articles in terms of origin of life and, and you know, the evolution of complex organisms that we've seen in probably a decade. And yet probably even people who pay attention to science news didn't see a single bit about this this week. Well, to be fair, we're all pretty focused on Elon's failings right now. That's really sucking <laughs> I, up a lot of the... Uh... I guess so. I guess, yeah. It's never been happier to have never gotten into Twitter. Again, super underreported, super important. Now, usually when we talk about missing link, it is a misnomer. It is a term that was created by the people in Victorian times who literally didn't understand what they were talking about when we were talking about evolution. They were thinking of some missing link between us and apes. There's a bunch of things wrong with that statement. One, we are apes. Humans are apes. And, uh, number two, we're not coming from the type of apes. They thought there'd be some kind of transitional fossil between us and chimpanzees. That's nonsensical. Chimpanzees are like a cousin species to us. And so we have a, a intermediate species that go back to a shared common ancestor. And then the third is every quote unquote missing link we find, they just go, oh, well, now we have this guy. Now there's two links between this guy, the one before him and the one after him. So there's always going to be a missing link. Even if you had every single species, they could be like, well, I have every single individual of this species, except one father is missing from this father-son pair. Ah, we got a missing link. So like, it's kind of a nonsensical term when it's used in terms of human evolution. However, what it's used for in this term is looking at the origin of eukaryotic life, which is a huge deal. So we've talked about eukaryotes before. We talked about this a little bit with this big bio discovery from a few weeks ago, but our kingdoms of life are separated into eukaryotes, archaea, and bacteria. That's the three basal branches of life. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Anything that, you know, comes before that would be the last common ancestor of all living things. But most living things are in those other groups, archaea and bacteria. Number of species is way beyond those of eukaryotes, but eukaryotes are all multi-celled creatures. Plants, animals, fungi, all of that stuff, those are all eukaryotic, including there are also single-cell eukaryotic creatures. But eukaryotes is a huge group of all the stuff you can see. If you can see it, it is a eukaryote. Then obviously there's bacteria and discovered in the 1970s, archaea, which is kind of similar to bacteria, but it's its own thing. What we have just discovered is a group of Archaeans who we've actually discovered them in 2015 and they were named the Asgardians. We all know Endgame was getting big back then, so so <laughs> it, it makes sense. But this was this is like a, an aquatic species of Archaea and it was discovered in 2015, but only recently were we able to start growing them in a lab. And that gives us the ability to do really interesting things. Like for instance, if you can grow them in a lab at enough concentration, you can freeze shock them, which gives you a 3D model of them. And then you can kind of see what their structure is and everything. And in doing that, we realize, we think we have kind of hit the the point where archaea branched off and then eventually became eukaryotic life. We think that archaea combined with a, you know, a bacteria or another archaea, you know, maybe subsumed them in to be, create a multicellular or to create this the type of eukaryotic cellular structure. And we have been looking for that since we have postulated that idea. And it looks like this group, the Asgardians, are at least the descendants, the lineal descendants of that group and, and share a lot of the qualities with them. They're almost going from the Archaea group to the eukaryotes. We see kind of the missing link, so to speak. We see one of the steps in the process that is leading to eukaryotes 
demonstrated within this very specific branch of Archaea, which is amazing because we might have just put together a huge piece of the evolution of life, or at least the evolution of, of multicellular life from this group that's been, you know, around us for many millions of years. But we just discovered it in 2015, just was able to replicate it like last year or something to the point and finally able to analyze it and go, holy fuck. This might be, you know, the the relatives or something similar to our great, 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 great grandfather that went away from the single cell Archaea bacteria lineage to create all eukaryotes. Archaea just joined Team Eukaryote. Bacteria's list of allies grows thin. Now is the time to strike. We have the numbers. <laughs> no, they they still have the numbers. You know, we have the organization to form complex organisms, which then can execute more advanced attack patterns onto the bacteria than they can wage on us. You know, we could we could burn the world. Checkmate us. We win. We just light it up. So uh, here's a, a quote from the article. The cells consist of round cell bodies with thin, sometimes very long cell extensions. These tentacle-like structures sometimes even seem to connect different cell bodies with each other, i.e. connecting different archaea to different archaea in a system that would later be used to create a multicellular life form. The cells also contain an extensive network of actin filaments thought to be unique to eukaryotic cells. This suggests that extensive cytoskeletal structures arose in archaea before the appearance of the first eukaryotes and fuels evolutionary theories about this important and spectacular event in the history of life. Basically what they're saying is, looks like these archaea can form kind of groups together that mimic what we see in multicellular eukaryotic life. In fact, they're things that we thought were unique to it. And those groups can function while all those are still singular cellular, single cellular archaea, basically giving you the scaffolding for a multicellular existence. Really, really, really awesome stuff. Does this happen in nature? Does this, yeah. uh, like, okay, so we, we just have yet to observe these, uh, uh, I guess naturally in nature, these uh, archaea uh, colonies working together on a task. Yeah, we just got, we just discovered them in 2015 and it takes a while to replicate them in the lab. We're not that great at it. And so, yeah, in observing them in that sense, we are able to watch them build this kind of scaffolding that mimics later processes in terms of multicellular life. Super, super cool. And, you know, this, this puts a big piece of knowledge in uh, a very kind of spotty area of evolutionary history and leads us to how things happen. You know, the idea of how single cellular life can transform into multicellular life. We have a lot of theories about it. You know, one, one creature subsuming another and blah, blah, blah. And that uh, absolutely happened. But what this shows us is that some of the tendencies of multicellular life are actually carried out in single cellular life. And, and they just work in a different way and they work almost as a, in a communal group. All right, on to article number two, the oldest projectile points in the new world. All right, an archaeology article. We're going to fire this thing up. All right, now every time, now keep in mind, I, I always, I'll, I'll, you have showed me projectile points. Now sure. to me and and my uh, lay brain, I just will say arrowhead because that's, that's what I have been taught. Sure. But I have been sharply reminded every time that it is a projectile point. Describe the difference. An arrowhead goes on an arrow. Huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. And a projectile point does not? 
Uh, well, an arrowhead is a type of projectile point, but there are many types of projectile points. Only some of them are arrowheads, and the ones we're going to be talking about here certainly aren't because it predates the introduction of the bow and arrow to the Americas by many, many thousands of years. So these certainly were not arrowheads. Uh, these were projectile points, usually for darts, for atlatls, which you've seen before, right? You, you were at my yeah. wedding. We had an atlatl... Add a little throwing contest there. And these I are, killed the mammoth. Yeah, yeah I remember. Mammoth. Yeah, so these are big spears that are thrown with what's called an atlatl or a spear thrower, which allows you to get leverage and kind of throw something much harder and faster. And the the reason that these were preferred over bow and arrows, on top of the fact that bow and arrow technology hadn't gotten there, is bow and arrows can't quite penetrate super deep into big animals like mammoths or mastodons. But a six-foot dart thrown with an atlatl can. And so, you know, it's it's not just that this is a more primitive technology, it is, but also it is in terms of hunting larger animals better because you were able to, to pierce that hide and get super deep. So what we're gonna talk about is a cache of projectile points that were found at the Cooper's Ferry site in Idaho that date to 15.7 thousand years old. This puts it into the dates of some of the oldest, one of the oldest sites in the new world. Now, Cooper's Ferry was a known site. It's been known, I think, since the, for at least a couple of decades now. And we knew it was very old. In fact, we even knew we had 16,000-year-old stuff at Cooper's Ferry. It's not like this pushes Cooper's Ferry back. But the stuff we had were bits of bone and bits of datable material. What we unearthed was a cache of finished and broken projectile points. Now, in these kind of mobile hunter-gatherer groups, that wasn't unusual. Instead of carrying everything with you, you would usually go from camp to camp to camp and you would bury stuff at each camp so you could come back to it later and utilize it, but you can't carry all of these fucking arrowheads or all these projectile points around with you. You gotta, you know, dig a hole, bury it, and then you can come back. And we see this with Clovis stuff later. Some of our best examples of Clovis projectile points are found because we find a cache, a buried cache of them where somebody planned to come back and get them and was never able to. So this this kind of explains like video game theory where you're running around like and like you'll you'll stumble upon an arrow cache yeah, yeah, or something in the woods. That was a real thing. In fact, some native groups when their territories would over would would overlap, knew this well enough that they knew to go and look for somebody else's cache. Like they know that group over there. I saw them making some tools, and they definitely didn't take them all with them. I'm gonna go find a place that has like unrested dirt and go dig them up. Gotcha. That's why you have that's is that and that's actually the evolution of why human beings shit in holes too. Yes, is to spite. Like that's the like okay. We're going <laughs> to, we have to throw them off. You know, they, they can't think every pile of, of messed with dirt yes. is an arrowhead. Yes. That's why sometimes I will bury something important, then put a little dirt and then shit on top of that. Then put a little bit more dirt. Now you're digging, you hit the shit, you're like, <laughs> oh, it's a shithole. You don't realize that there's act, the good stuff is underneath. Which is why, like, if you ever are digging and you find shit, you got to keep going. Yes. You never know. You can checkmate them. You just have to keep going. Yes. Don't be thrown off. Yes, and the, those treasures I had hit at the bottom of the pile, the nicer shits. That those were the. Th <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of this multi-layered shit plan that's being executed by your great ancestor. Yeah, it's kind of like a seven-layer dip, but with really bad dip. <laughs> but finally at the bottom, you know, there actually is like there's a there's a bunch of there's there is the cash, but yeah. they had to dig through like the puddle of diarrhea. Yes. And how you're able to come up with such consistencies of shit between the dip, the layer dip. It's the colors that really set it off. <laughs> so masterful. 
We've talked before about the oldest sites in the Americas. We talked about the somewhat controversial White Sands footprints at White Sands National Park in New Mexico at 23,000, around there. Um, we're still not 100% sure on that, but though that, that, that does look pretty good. We have Buttermilk Creek, or the Galt site, that is about 40 miles north of Austin, Texas. And there we have stuff at around eight, somewhere between 16,8 to 18,000. We're a little bit unsure of, of exactly where that is. Cooper's Ferry has been a, a site of one of the, the oldest known sites in the Americas for a very long time. And what we have just done is added to what we know about that site, including this pre-Clovis technology. Uh, and these particular spear point, these particular projectile points, they look really similar to some of the stuff that we see uh, around the same time period in Japan. And that's really interesting. You know, there's the idea, the, the, we used to think, oh, they're coming over from Japan into the Americas, we now think it's more likely there was a, a separate Beringial group that was in the middle in Beringia for a long time, and they probably filtered down both ways. So they probably filtered down and brought some of that technology to the the Jomon people of, of Japan, as well as coming into the Americas and bring that uh, to be to the native groups here. And obviously that predated the the Clovis tradition that would come later and was, was diagnostic with this fluting, the, these, these flakes removed from the inside so it could be half and so this kind of shows us, um, or shows us is the wrong term because we had examples of this technology before, but gives us further examples of the evolution of this projectile point technology in the Americas. You know, this sounds boring here, but like back in the day, this was this was a major ad advancement. This was like uh, in World War II, like like somebody inventing the gun or the cavalry or something, you know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way to spice this up. What would Dan Carlin do to spice up? Well, dude, uh, imagine. Uh, uh, you don't this. need to spice up shit. Could you imagine you're walking across a landscape 16,000 years ago? It's dominated by terrifying megafauna that has no fear of you. And you're running around trying to kill huge, giant, woolly ass elephants using nothing but sticks and these sharpened fucking pieces of rock attached to the end of it. It's crazy. Oh, they wouldn't be afraid of you, Bobby, I think, to correct your statement. I think, like, if we went back in time, I think, hypothetically, they would be a little afraid of me. You think the, the mastodons and the mammoths and the giant, the short-faced bear, they'd all be, they'd all be scared of you? Yes, yes. And mm -hmm. I say that as in the same vein as the guy who watches, like, a boxing match and is like, I could beat that guy. I could beat yes. that guy. Yeah. Yes. I say that with the confidence that, like, you know, don't get me wrong, my ancestors would view me as a massive, massive man. Sure. But but easily, I slain, easily. Oh, Not, yeah. So easily slain. Yeah, you're big, but your bow and arrow use is subpar at best. So, yeah, depending on when you're going back, you're, you're, you're going to get killed pretty quick. Yeah, well, uh, they better hope that uh, I, a, a Tekken arcade machine doesn't materialize <laughs> 16,000 years ago, because I'll take them to fucking and school. And become like the trial by combat of its era? Is that the <laughs> is that the implication? Of like, if somebody at that time were to challenge you to a game of Tekken with the consequences being death, that is where you will shine. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, if all of a sudden, like you and I are in some crazy shenanigan <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, you know, like we're brought before the Yakuza boss yes. and they're like, uh, if, but if you can beat my champion in Tekken, I'll just go, Bobby, I got this. I got this. I feel, yeah, I feel like this is a trial by combat that I hope never gets instituted in the American court system, but <laughs> I could see it happening. <laughs> 
<laughs> listen, I listen. If that if they said Street Fighter, I'm fucked, man. I, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know why it's just this one specific game. Oh dear! Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 641, where you learned all about how the Asgardians are our missing link and how the oldest projectile points in the new world were just discovered. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction. 642. Please, everybody, I'm just Alex Jones again. I need all of you to join the Patreon, all right? It's the only thing keeping me afloat. It's the only thing paying the bills, keep the lights on over here. Due to the fact that I am under cartoon character jurisdiction, I could literally be sent to debtor's prison at any point unless we can get at least a few new Patreons. Listen, I don't need a lot. Listen, they pay me in chili. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs>